Hey, everybody, we're talking to Jonathan Edwards today. What an amazing guy. He is a former Olympian, an author, a coach, business owner, just amazing stories we're going to get into today. He's a great new friend of mine. You don't want to miss this incredible conversation. Welcome to The Last 10%. Your host, Dallas Burnett, dives into incredible conversations that will inspire you to finish well and finish strong. Listen as guests share their journeys and valuable advice on living in the last 10%. If you are a leader, a coach, a business owner, or someone looking to level up, you are in the right place. Remember, you can give 90% effort and make it a long way, but it's finding out how to unlock the last 10% that makes all the difference in your life, your relationships, and your work. Now, here's Dallas. Welcome, welcome, welcome to The Last 10%. I am Dallas Burnett in Thrive Studios, sitting in my 1905 Koch Brothers barber chair. But more importantly, today we have an amazing guest, Mr. Jonathan Edwards. Welcome to the show, Jonathan. What's up, Dallas? What's up? That's awesome. That's it's so good to have you on the show. We uh, we just enjoyed our time with Ruben. You're the second guest now in the history of the show that has has been recommended at the end of every show. We ask guests like, "Who would you like to hear on the last ten percent?" They may know them or they may not. And Ruben has recommended that we get you on the show. So thank you for being with us on the show at Ruben's request. <laughs> right on. Happy to be here. Happy to be here. And I warn you. I've always done any podcast I've ever been on. I've always done two episodes and they've been like epically oh. long. So I just warn you now. We are all about some great content. Yeah. And if it goes long, yeah. we're not in a hurry at the last 10%. Yeah. So I tell you what, let's just start because I'm really curious about your story. You've got, you've just got such an incredible background, diverse interest. You're an avid reader. You just chew up content. But what is, what's up with Jonathan Edwards now? And kind of give us a background on your path so far. Well, you know, it's funny. At first, I was born. No, just kidding. I won't go that far back. Um, <laughs> it's going to be really long. Really long. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. When you, when I'm 50 now, right? So it's like there's a lot of history, yeah. whether you like it or not, right? So, <laughs> yeah. So, so I guess my, my uh, born and raised uh, from Boston, Massachusetts, uh, just south of Boston. And uh, I grew up there, went to private school there. Uh, my, 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 Parents were both musicians. They were both, they were both had their masters in music. And, oh. uh, and then, but I became an athlete and I'm an only child. So sports really kind of resonated with me and uh, played soccer, ice hockey, field lacrosse was really my, my main love. And I was a, I was a high school American and a D1 recruit, but somewhere around my freshman year, wow. I, I tried this sport called luge and I went to the oldest uh, YMCA in North America up in upstate New York. And I got introduced to this rather obscure sport called luge and Long story short, I, you know, I loved it. I went to Lake Placid, New York for two weeks and I was supposed to go for two. I stayed for five. Next year I made the junior oh, national wow. team and I got paired up with a kid from upstate Michigan and we became really good, really fast. And so I was living these two lives and here I was a high school athlete, but then I was also doing in the Olympic world. And I found out really quickly that, you know, what, and I tell this to people to this day, you know, there's all these high school athletes doing their thing, but when you're in, on the Olympic track, it's like, you're doing, you're really doing, you know? yeah. and, and there, there's a, it's a culture, it's a culture choice. You know, you, I would go home, I would go back to my, 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 my high school and kids thought that they were training, 
but I had just been training like three times a day, five, six days a week. And I've learned what really training was like, right? So right. from a really early age, I realized that there's like, there's doing a thing, but then there's like the doing of the thing, right? Like, so, so, <laughs> so I've always held that. And I think uh, I'll be honest that kind of, uh, it inflates your head a little bit. It's, uh, it's kind of this, uh, all right, I've been exposed to this world of what things are really supposed to be like. And to be honest, right. when I came out of high school, I got recruited and went to Notre Dame. I, like, so, sorry, they flew me out. I didn't go to Notre Dame eventually. Oh, wow. But they flew me out and I, gave me the whole rigmarole. And it was interesting because uh, the coach asked me a question. Coach Corrigan, he's still there. He said, who do you hmm. want to stay with on your recruiting trip? Do you want to stay with the seniors? Because of my Olympics experience, I was going to be a 23-year-old freshman. Um, oh my goodness. And what sport were you going to, going to, was Notre Dame looking at? Field lacrosse. So field oh, field lacrosse. I was okay. a goalie. A... And, uh, and uh, what was interesting was I didn't, I deferred going to school. Like I, I didn't go right out of high school, but he asked a critical question, which was like, who do you want to stay with when you're on campus? And mm -hmm. I said, well, you know, since I'm going to be coming in as a freshman, even though I was 23, I should probably be with the freshman, right? Well, that was a massive right. mistake. <laughs> because literally like, you know, I'm staying in some dorm room and there's like pizza boxes and CDs. And I swear there was like women's underwear on the floor. Oh. And that was just one thing of a couple things that just made me think like, I don't want to do this because I've gone to the Olympics. I've had this like elite mm. athletic experience and, you know, division one lacrosse, it didn't really look like anything to me anymore. Wow. And so I ultimately didn't go back to college uh, and I got, actually, I got a sales job. I was coaching lacrosse. I was working for a, like a, a massive high school fundraising company and that was fun. And then I, but then I fell back into sport and this is kind of telling, you know, they say like when you, when you don't kind of leap, it's easy to fall back. It's, it's easy to take a lesser goal than to continue right. on the goal that you're on. But I didn't really have a goal at the time. I was pursuing a couple different things. I wanted to be a physical therapist and then I met a friend who was a pilot and it's just that, you know. And I had no mentors in my life at the time to say, this is what you should do. I grew up very independent. I didn't really attach to people too easily. I was always inspired by people and I learned a lot, but, but I kind of wish at the time, although, you know, regrets what it is, but I didn't have anybody say like, this is what you should do. You know, I totally get it. Yeah. Right? So I got my pilot's yeah. license. Uh, then I found out <laughs> that I couldn't really land a plane with any much like flair. Or kind of fun, uh, you know. Like, well, maybe yeah, that's it's not really something pilots brag about. Yeah, man. Did you yeah, see did that you way see I that? just came in? It's my own signature landing. Yeah. <laughs> Two wheels, man. Just see that. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so I so I kind of bounced around and then I fell back into sport. And then I uh, like I said I had been in sales a little bit, but I was a voracious reader. I believe to this day that if you're not where you want to be in your life, you lack some sort of input. Mm. Right. And, uh, right. you lack some sort of input and like, you know, Charlie tremendous Jones, right. There's that quote, like the only thing that'll change you between now and you in five years is the people that you meet and the books that you read. Right. There's a couple other things in there mm -hmm. that he, but so I'm a voracious reader and I'm constantly listening to audiobooks and, uh, and, uh, yeah, I feel like if you're not where you want to be in your life, it's just, you lack an input and whether that's people in your yeah. life or, but you can just easily get people inputs by reading. Or, yeah. but like I said, like reading to me now is kind of hard because I don't, I don't sit still long enough. You know, mm. if I sit still with a book, I'm like going like, all right, there's probably something else I should be doing right now. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Slowing down. I want to ask you, I want to, I want to ask you, I want to drop back because yeah. you, you dropped so much information there. You had parents that were trained musicians, but then you went to athletics, which is like 90 degree turns, like boom, take a right turn mm -hmm. here. 
But do you feel like that back seeing them and did any of that translate and resonate with you in terms of the amount of preparation and the amount of practice and discipline that they had to have? Did that translate to you in that way? Or did you see what they were doing and were like, nah, I want to do something completely different? I dabbled in music, obviously, like, you know, I played the piano and then my teacher moved to England and then I was like, nah, mm. and I played the trumpet and then I got braces and then that and that hurt. Right. And I like, ah. <laughs> so my dad was a conductor, like he was a professor at a college in, in Boston. Wow. And then he was on, we were in London on his uh, sabbatical and they cut his whole department. So here, oh my goodness. Here, here you are as a, you know, professor, you know, and then all of a sudden like you got nothing. Um, uh. So I saw kind of that struggle. When he was yeah. a conductor, so I always saw him at the front of the room, that sort of thing. Yeah. My mom had been an opera singer, but then when she had me, she kind of didn't pursue that anymore. Sure. So this is obviously pre-internet, so I didn't really see, you know, I saw some photos of her singing. and I mean, performance was the common thing. Uh, but it wasn't yes. like my parents were in my head going like, this is how you perform. It was like, no, like I went to Lake Placid. It was too far of a gap. Sure. For me to really make that connection. You know, mom had told me some stories yeah. randomly of, about like nerves and things like that. But, but I'll be yeah. honest, Dallas, like when I was training, there was more of a focus on just the physical aspect of training and not the mental side. Like back then, oh, it wasn't right. in your face like it is now. Like everybody's talking about anxiety and this and, you know, that. Yes. Like, I'll be honest, I get with all due respect, but I get sick of that conversation about anxiety because like when people dig into the, how their brain works, they realize it's not a, it's not a feeling to be feared. You just got to yes. figure it out. Right. So you got to figure it and out. And I know that sounds really disrespectful to anybody that has anxiety, but like, hear me, we'll, I'm sure we'll cover things later that go oh, yeah. more deep on that. So, so you're right. It was a bit of a transition. Like it was a bit of a, you know, 180 degree turn there, but there are some similarities there, right? So well, I want to jump forward too, because you brought out something where you said you, if you don't, if you make a big leap and going obviously into the luge and getting really good, really fast and progressing in that sport, becoming an Olympic athlete at like pinnacle of sports, the, Unpack that idea where you said you, you can fall back if you don't continue the leap. Like, how did that look for you? And like, and what do you mean by that for our listeners? If I'm, if you're going after something and you make that leap, I'm assuming you're saying in your career, leaping, leaping to the Olympics was a huge leap, you know? Yeah. But also after the Olympics were over. So mm. here's an interesting concept. So the read a book years ago called Throne Free, and it was about a story about an East German discus thrower. Now, for those of you guys, like, you know, who might be too young to remember uh, communist Russia and East Germany and Romania and all these countries used sport as a basically a way to put their political imprint on, on the world. And so, right. so their sports system was so advanced, like so advanced. And now, because of the internet, we feel like it's all the same. But back then, the, what I learned from, the, from this book is that these countries had programs to train their athletes to that peak of an Olympics or world championships. But then when they were of retirement age, they would detrain them into a future life. Now, for some, wow. that would be coaching. 
but for some that might be they might be teaching in a school but in these communist countries the general con- idea is that you're trying to create people who are productive for your society like that's yeah. just like you're and so they had a plan for that in the united states we don't have that at all it's like right. you peak and you went to the olympics and then like Okay. So that's it. He's got dead space. Yeah. Yeah. So I competed like the next year and then I I competed in doubles and then my partner and I was split. And that's kind of now what? Like, do I go back to college? Do I go? There's no plan for that. And Mm. so what I had wished, and we talked about this a little bit offline, was this idea of, of, you know, if you're successful in one thing, there's a framework to that. What I think we forget in North America is we forget that framework or we never knew there was one to begin with. And that was definitely me because I had achieved this one thing in my life, but now it's like, well, what's next? Right. And if people listen to, you know, podcasts or things now, there's a lot of talk about dopamine. This idea right, that yeah. the brain rewards you with this chemical yeah. called dopamine. I call it a neurochemical cocktail. Yes. You know, so, so whether you were, you know, whether you've pursued this at work and you've, you know, you've finished some sort of project, like that's, that took a framework to make it happen. And we can talk about that. Yeah. But what, what I lacked and what I talk about and teach now is this idea like, okay, if you are pursuing the Olympics or you're a single mom or you, or your sales leader, or you are a janitor, you know, just coming to work today and you've got to clean the entire 12th floor of a building. It's, there's a framework to that. There's a framework. And so that's what, like, I wrote about that in my book and I, I think about that a lot now, but the idea is like, okay, first you have to set your sights on something. And after the Olympic Games, that is obviously a really big high at a very young age. Yes. Yes. Unbelievable. And nobody teaches you like what, especially in North America, nobody talks about the after effect. I will tell you this. So interesting that you say that, and especially the way you put it, because I was actually having this conversation in our first podcast on the last 10%, we interviewed a Mount Everest guide. And he talked all about making it to the top of Everest. And somebody came up to me and they, this literally this week, and they were like, I listened to this, you know, about your, you know, Mount Everest guy. That was awesome show. I was like, thanks. And they said, did you know that most people that die when they're on the mountain die going. coming down? Yep. Right. They don't die going to the summit. They, and I think back to the show and he didn't make a comment. He actually, it was a, like, there was some big issues with another team that he didn't talk about on the show that we talked about afterwards, coming down and almost cost, I mean, there was almost a lot of life lost on that. But he even said on the show, he's looking around, they're all celebrating and hugs, and he looks over and this guy's not even wearing his oxygen. It's like, we've it. And it's like, put your oxygen on, dude. And so, I mean, you think about that and you really, I think that is a, that is the difference, I think, between achieving a success and maybe sustaining success yeah. or either transitioning. I should say transitioning success because it's like, that's what it's all about. When you go and you hit a peak, you're at the peak. So now you've got to transition and say, okay, well, where's the next peak or what is the next thing? And I think people, like you said, I think it's natural in our country. We just kind of don't think about it, but I think it's natural in people's lives. 
It's like that they think about, I'm going after this goal, that dopamine, that, that cocktail, I'm in it. And then we get what we're looking for. If we achieve this success, whatever it is, and we have like, we have no idea what's next. We have no idea. And there's no plan. Yeah. And the, the problem, Dallas, the underlying problem is that people don't know what's going on with them mentally and emotionally and physically on the journey. Right. So, mm. so, so, you know, I'm at, a, I'm at an age now where I understand that life is long and that there's highs and lows, but when you average them out, there's a line there, right? There's just a trajectory. Yeah. And so we, I think as a culture, we don't understand that. And so with, like, I work with a lot of athletes, right? And I work with entrepreneurs and, and I work with people who are, and I've been in sales organizations, especially, and you get, you know, you get the guys that are crushing it. And then you get the guys who aren't, and you get the girls who are crushing it, the girls who aren't, yeah. you know, and, and, but the idea there is, is that, and that Everest example is, is perfect because you're right. It's not about getting to the peak. Hmm. It's about getting back home safely. That's part of yeah. the journey, right? <laughs> that's right. You know, <laughs> so, but, but that's where like, as an Olympian, nobody talks about using that journey as a transition, a springboard to the rest of your life, right? Mm. It's kind of like, Hey, we all did this thing back then. And, and now what, you know, because people tell you like, when you go to the Olympics, they're like, Oh, nothing else in your life is going to compare. Well, that's true. But the point is, there's, that sounds very sad. It is, you know, that sounds very, it's like, Oh my gosh, that's so depressing. It, it's like, well, totally might as well die now. You know? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Thanks for nothing. You know, like it's, like, it's the same thing as like, okay, if you, so I worked with a family, this was a couple of years ago and they had an athlete who was on a professional path, like their sport took them professionally. Right. And so there's a lot of money to be had, a lot of money available, right. In this particular sport. And, uh, and the athlete was known to party. So this athlete was like in their mid twenties okay. with known to party. So. So you, you take, if you understand, and there's some great books on this now, there's, there's a, the original book by uh, Dr. Candace Pert was the original kind of dopamine book. It was called The Molecules of Emotion and okay. fin, a fantastic book to be, there's books now like The Molecule of More is another one that's out more currently. But these books tell you like kind of what your brain is doing while you're on that path to pursue something. And so... Like when I work, worked in sales, you know, there's guys like crushing it, right? They're making lots of money. They're ca cashing these really big commission checks. And what do they do when they get the check? They go out and they, they booze it up. They yeah. steak and lobsters, man. You know, like, let's go. There might be drugs involved. Sure. So now you've got these molecules of emotion that are a neurochemical cocktail. And now you're adding on top of that, the alcohol, the drugs, like whatever else is, you know, the food. So, so. When you take that away, so like when the Olympics are gone, when the athlete has, doesn't have the sport anymore, their body is actually addicted to all that, that neurochemical cocktail, but now it's gone. Mm. The body then is looking for, Hey, yo, used to have all this great stuff going on. And then yeah. we used to get some of that with alcohol and drugs and food and stuff. So we'll keep doing that. Oh yeah. We'll keep doing yeah. that. Even though the initial thing is now gone. 
So it could be the Olympics for this athlete I was talking about. It was their sport. They'd gotten injured. So now the sport's mm -hmm. not giving them that. And the body's like, yo, nobody talks about this really. You know, you know, especially guys who are like in finance, right? They're making big trades or big deals. Their body's like, yes, yeah, I love it. Let's go. Interesting thing though, in the corporate world, Dallas, that I know you're really familiar with is that yeah. most people in the corporate world don't think of themselves as athletes. Correct. They're just, they're going to give themselves that definition. Right. But the same chemical things are happening. Oh, hundred percent. Right. The same. I was just, I was just talking this week to some commercial real estate developers right. and it was just a room full of corporate real estate developers. They're going after a deal. They're trying to put packages together, trying to steal big real estate. And the whole room, the reason they had me come there is they want to talk about the whole room is suffering from burnout. And then you're talking to them and one person says, look, I just can't turn it off. I just go home and I say, even when I'm not at work, I'm like, yeah, I can't turn this off. And it's that, it's almost like what you're saying is you got to be real careful because you get that chemical cocktail going and then it's your body's driven and wanting that is, and it starts applying it in different ways and you start chasing it harder and harder to try to continue to keep that up. And maybe you're creating some routines in your life that are just really not helping your, you know, mind, body, and spirit as much as what you maybe feel like it is, you know? And so I think you're, I think you're spot on. You don't have to be a pro athlete to experience this kind of internal sense where it's like, I've got, I got to feed the beast a little bit. I'm, you know, I need more, I'm hard charging and I'm, you know, and when you get to that point, it's hard to turn it off. What people don't realize is that the body is actually, is the body is searching for the addiction and mm. nobody talks about it like an addiction, but it is, mm. it's truly, it, it, the body has become used to a level of performance, excitement, stress, what have you. Yes. And so it's going to replicate it. Now here's one that'll blow your mind. Okay. So, uh, there's a guy by the name of Do uh, Dr. Gabor Mate okay. and he's in Vancouver, but I think he's actually Czechoslovakian or Romanian. It's funny cause he looks like he, he's hasn't slept in years, but so he's written a number of, of books and, and one of the books I read this story, this blew my mind. So he had a client, a female client who she had grown up in an abusive household like a very abusive a father was like super abusive. And he told this story about how later in her life, she would be, she would get herself in these situations that were, as she began to abuse her relationships, or if the relationship wasn't abusive, she would do something that would actually create like anxiety and angst. And just, it, she would just kind of self-destruct these things. And what he helped her realize was like your body is looking to replicate that stress and anxiety and that ex excitement, if you want to use it like that term, of when you were young. Oh my god. Right. Goodness. And so we don't so so you don't have to have grown up in a like a an abusive childhood, but mm. you could you you know you could have been pursuing a sport, pursuing the Olympic Games, pursuing those real estate developers, like, you know, when they, you know, maybe they bought their first house, right? And they were like, yeah. yeah. Well, the body is looking for that. Now, if you throw on top uh, of that layer, any of those other things, food, drugs, you know, alcohol, anything. Now the body is like, wait a second. Now I'm used to this level of, of that. Well, if people understand that that's what's going, even on the smallest level, 
right? Because that's where people say like, oh, well, you were an Olympian. Yeah, I'm not trying to train for the Olympics. It's the same thing. Oh, mm. you were an Olympian. I'm just like a surgeon. It's the same thing. It's the same right? thing. Oh, right. you're, you went to the Olympics. I'm just a sales guy selling like HVAC, you know, in, in Montana. It's the same thing. Yeah. Same right? thing. Same thing. So, so I believe 100% that if more people understood what was going on, that and I'll talk quick about, I'll bring it back to that anxiety comment before. Okay. So there's a professor at uh, Harvard that did a study a number of years ago about, and, and the name is going to escape me right now. I apologize. But no. she took a bunch of Harvard students and she said, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to have y'all next week. You're all going to have to speak in front of the class. And instantly, like they say, like more people would rather be in the coffin than give the eulogy. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. I just love that. More people be like, rather be in yes. the coffin than give the eulogy. Well, so they asked these kids like, okay, how do you feel? Right? Well, I'm anxious. I've got my nerves, like my palms are sweaty, like all this stuff, right? What? So all she got them to understand is that, okay. That sound means it's time to take a break and hear a word from our sponsor. If you lead an organization or a team, one of the biggest challenges you face is developing your people. Think Move Thrive is here to help you on your journey. We've developed a coaching system that integrates into your team or organization to consistently develop your employees, build trust, gain valuable feedback, and increase accountability. The leadership retreats and summits are great. We even build those custom for our clients, but they're only part of the solution because they lack consistency. Our one-on-one -on -one coaching app is the missing piece in your employee development program. We help new leaders get to know their teams. We help technical managers be more relational. And we help ensure that your relational rock stars stay organized. We developed the system for a client, and it was so successful. We created the app to help more organizations develop their people, build trust, engagement, and you guessed it, performance. For more information, go to thinkmovethrive.com. To learn more about the one-on-one -on -one coaching system and start developing your team today. Back to the show. The same thing that makes you feel anxious, those same chemicals that make you feel anxious are the same chemicals that happen when you're excited. Mm. So all she got them to do was instead of like talk about her, their speaking assignment coming up, instead of saying like, oh my God, I'm so nervous, whatever. They just said like, Hey, I'm excited. When the kids spoke first and they were, they said they were anxious, they're, they stuttered, they, their speech wasn't good. Didn't go very well. When they just talked about being excited, then their speech was fine. They were animated, but it was like all good. And afterwards they're like, Hey, no problem. And that's one of the biggest problems right. I have with the whole talk around anxiety now is that hmm. people use it for all sorts of definitions, right? So they use it from people who actually have full-blown anxiety as like a medical issue. But right. then you'll get some mom on a sideline at a youth sports game. Like, oh my God, when I watch my kid play, I'm a I get, I get anxiety. No, yeah. dude, you're right, just right, a mom, right. you know, you know? Yeah. So, so, so the framework that people need to understand is that they could be a corporate manager trying to coach a group of people and they've never done that before. Right. Mm. You know, and we all know Peter principle, right? I'm sure you've talked yeah. about that, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I hate that 
hate that idea that, hey, we're going to promote you just far enough until you suck. And then we're going to yeah. fire you. Yeah, right. And it is true because like there's, you know, I, and I'm, there's problems on both sides of that, yeah. right? The company's not paying attention and looking at the individual and saying, is this, we haven't done a good job of clarifying roles, responsibilities, capabilities necessary for this position, responsibilities and things like that. And on the flip side, the person stepping into it is just chasing this success ladder that they think is going to give them what they want. And then they, they get to that level and they can't perform because they're totally out of alignment because there's no thought. So it's kind of a mess on both sides of that, you know, exactly. but so, so true. But I do think that's so interesting because Back to what you're saying about anxiety and the reframing of that. I think successful people, you know, if you're performing at anything, you were saying coaching in team members, employees, if you're leading a team, if you're stepping out and having to give a speech at the company Christmas party, you're going to perform better. And you're a performance coach. So this is, you would know this, but I, in my experience, you perform better if you are having a good time, you're in the flow, you're focused, but not performing from a sense of a deficit of I'm anxious, but you're more performing out of excitement because you have that energy. It's the direction of the energy. And I feel like that your performance is going to increase and you would do better. You would probably perform better at whatever activity you're doing. If you, and what's crazy is that you're just looking at the other side of the coin. You're saying, okay, I could look at it this side and say, I'm anxious. I'm anxious. I'm anxious. And then you're almost like a, a self-fulfilling prophecy. You're going to go up there and you're going to screw up that speech. And then you go do it because your mind is going down that rabbit hole, that tunnel. And you're already telling yourself, this is going to be terrible. It's going to be bad. I can't do this. And then you go do bad, terrible. And you go, well, you flip the coin around. You still feel the same way. You still feel all these butterflies and everything. You go, man, I'm so excited. This is what that is. You're almost choosing to respond to your body's response to say mentally, ah, oh, it's because I'm excited. Well, and then all of a sudden it just, everything's different. Well, here's the deal. I'm going to give you, here's the recipe. Okay. And to take it one step further, the idea is this is like, okay, if someone ran into your house right now and yelled fire, okay, you're not going to notice like the posters on the wall, the color of the paint, you know, the carpets flipped over. You're just going to get the heck out of there. Right. Right. And here's what, here's why that happens is that the brain, whenever we go into a situation that is outside of the norm, okay. Like I remember my first sales job role playing, you know, playing. And so then you're, you know, you're in some boardroom or some whatever, you know, some hotel in some town that you'd never been to. I mean, there's a Denny's attached to the hotel, whatever, you know, Waffle house, sorry, down by you. But the idea is like, you know, what happened is you role play all this stuff and then you go out into the field and you get hit with some curveball, and you're, and so what happens when that comes, whether it's a fire in your house or it's curveball in a sales presentation, brain all of a sudden is going like, this is not, I'm not ready for this. I haven't sure. trained for this. I'm not prepared for this. You know, and it's the reason why like in NFL football, we have plays and quarterbacks have reads. It's because if I don't get this one, then I got the second one. If I don't get the second one, then I got the third one. Well, if you don't get the third one, now we got to run. We got to improvise. Well, yes. that's when the brain, what the brain does is now throws into the system all of those chemicals to make us run faster, jump higher, hear stuff we've never heard for, before, our eyes become like wide. And that all that stuff, if you're not ready for that or understand that it's coming or it might come, 
then your brain gets hijacked and you're like, oh my God, I'm horrible at this. I'm never going to be good at this. I'm right. sweaty. Ah, uh, my pits like, ah, uh, you know, mm. but if you understand that the brain is just giving you all of these things to perform better than you've ever done before, then mm. you start to go like, cause we used to, you remember this, like we used to call it butterflies, butterflies. Yeah, yeah. I believe we got to take it a step further and really go, okay, listen, the same thing that's happening in your body right now. Yes. Little old you little pudgy you at the desk at the keyboard who just took the phone call from the boss and the boss is chewing you out and you feel butterfly it's not anxiety it's your brain mm. putting you on the defensive and that's something that's right. hardwired into us since we were like freaking neanderthals right like it's just right it's just part of who we are and so i think mm -hmm. people need to give themselves permission to understand that hey that same pathway that helps you know, an elite athlete win the Super Bowl is also in you. Yes. In you. And when you understand that, then you go like, okay, I can figure out anything. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I can figure out anything. If you can figure out a $10 deal, you can figure out a $1,000 deal. Yeah. Right? You can figure out a $10,000 deal. Now, it goes back to what you were saying earlier. It's, yeah. again, another framework. The framework and that mechanism yeah. that it's operating in is the same. Now, it may be a different stage. You may be on the Olympic stage or you may right. be on the, you know, giving a speech at the Christmas party stage, but it's the same stage. And that framework yeah. and mechanism that's going on in your body is going to be the same either way. So, yeah, I love that. I love that analogy. I'll throw this one at you, too, is that I believe that most people, and especially when I moved from Boston to Canada, <laughs> You got a lot of this up in Canada. People are nice. They, they want to avoid conflict. Sure. So here's the thing that happens is that one, we know that to, that, that there is a direct correlation with people who don't mind being disagreeable and pay scale and promotion. Oh. This is something that has come up in the last, like, I don't know, five, 10 years or so more in the public eyes, like people who, people who are patients and lawyers they are comfortable being uncomfortably disagreeable. Right. Now, if we're nice people, when we get into an, a, a situation that doesn't make us feel very good, where there's a little bit of conflict, you might pull back. You might not stick up for yourself. You might not. Boss comes at you and, and tears you six ways to Sunday. Right. Yeah, there's a little bit of, I get it, there's political hierarchy within a company, but there's also that like, ah, I don't like this. My, I don't like how this makes me feel. Yeah, pulling back. Yeah. Now, here's the deal. People talk about confidence. Hey, you just need more confidence. Dallas, you just, if you're just more confident, no problem. Is, is that when you're con confident, confidence builds off of past success. Right. Right. You've a, you've a, if you have a success, you finally, you sell a big deal. Like you're like, yeah, I've never sold one for that much money before. I closed that guy. It was awesome. Right. Neurochemical cocktail pumping at me. I feel good. Now I'm going to go to the next one. Hell, this was easy. No problem. I, yes. That was a $50,000 deal. That was no, no problem. Right. Next one, you know, so, but here's the thing is that confidence feels good hmm. internally. Sure. Right. Somebody struts in the boardroom. I got this confidence. Somebody struts in that meeting with that they've got to speak or maybe they got to lay somebody off or they got to do something that's, you know, eh, or they got to confront their boss that maybe they want to raise that 
doesn't feel good. Right. But when we go into situations that don't feel good, that takes courage. Yes. Yeah. Not confidence. Not confidence. And you need, and both, there's, both are so important. You know, you got to have this level of confidence. But on the flip side, you can't just go into every situation and go, because I don't feel confident in this environment, therefore I'm going to pull back. You know, I think you're exactly right. Is that is when you have to have courage. So if you have confidence, it's been, it's, you've, it's because you're repeating what you've done before and you feel very good about repeating what you've done before. But it's when you're in the environment that you don't know or you feel uncomfortable with the environment or haven't been there before or don't like the environment the way it is. I love that. I think you got to have courage. I do think it's interesting, you know, how you frame that up. And I think it's interesting as it relates to developing people. You know, we have a lot of content for coaches and leaders on the show. And I think that when you talked about, you know, directly being not agreeable relating to pay, I also go to that and say, hey, if you're always agreeable with someone that works for you, are you really making them better? And I know accountability sometimes gets a bad name and people get their feelings hurt and they're like, you're, I can't believe you would say that. And it's, I was talking to somebody the other day and it's like, there's so much affirmation that has to happen before you can say one thing that's needs to be developed and skill set needs to be, you know, de developed. And it's funny, but it's true. And it's like, we've kind of created this culture where it's like, if I don't get 150 likes on every post that I put on some social media platform, then I'm not, I'm, I, you know, I feel really bad about myself, whatever. And that translates to the work environment. But I think to, to your point, just because we may have a messy conversation with someone, it's not saying that you got to go around and just beat everybody like you're a hammer. But it is saying that if we are leaders and we're, we have team members that's under our care, if we're coaching them, if we're leader coaches, then their development is our responsibility. And there's going to mm -hmm. be some weird, strange, messy conversations that have to take place mm -hmm. if we're going to help them make that leap and make that jump to the next level. And sometimes I feel like leaders that shirk back and they pull back and they don't, and they don't have those difficult conversations. It's, it is, it, I believe, to your point, maybe because they have a lack of courage and they would rather just stick with the status quo and complain about their person behind their back and say, well, this person, they don't get it. Instead of engage that person, yes, you may hurt their feelings, or yes, they may have an argument, or yes, so clean it up, so make it right. But take the courageous step and say, look, I do this because I care about you, I want to develop you, and take courage in that. So I love your points on that. It's really good. Oh, thank you. And so the other thing about courage that uh, I can have a lot of courage jumping out of an airplane, but if I don't have a parachute, <laughs> Right. That's it's not right. going to end very well. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Right. So, so, so there's a level, there's a, I, so there's a level, and I learned this working with athletes and parents who didn't understand what was kind of going on. But the idea is that if you, you know, if you're listening to me right now and you're, maybe you were an athlete in your past, maybe you're never an athlete, but just self permission to take an athletic approach to life right now. Okay. Here's the deal. It's like every athlete needs three key abilities. Okay. All right. So. So I've, I'm a very visual thinker and the way if you out, there's a circle at the, there's three circles coming together, right? Okay. The circle at the bottom is your physical ability. But the idea is that if you realize like, okay, the better you are physically. Yeah. And part of that is just understanding what's going on with the brain and the body. That's one, that's the first thing. But if you're better physically, you should be able to muster up more courage in certain situations. Sure. Okay. Now the, the second circle, which would kind of be like upper left, 
is your technical ability. That's the, so that's the doing of the thing. So whatever your thing is, you know, maybe you're a coach, maybe you're a manager and you're dealing with people now. Well, you need some technical skills on how to do that. Now you have made, you've been hard, like whatever, but now when you've got other people that you've got to bring along with you, that's a completely different skill set that a lot of people just don't have, right? They don't have time to deal with your lack of confidence and your lack of courage. Sure. And the fact that you're so damn agreeable that you don't want to, <laughs> you know, you don't want to blow like a leaf off the tree. Like, just give me, like, you, you don't, if the waitress comes back with the wrong change after lunch, you're not going to, you'll be like, oh, I won't say anything. Just right. Whatever. Right. It's not worth No, it's like, dude, okay, wait a second. So there's a little bit of give and take there. But what I've found, and you've probably found this too, is a lot of people within a corporate structure, they get promoted, but then they're instantly stressed out. You know, the company says, all right, we're going to give you 90 days, but really it's like six, <laughs> right? If you don't show us some stuff in the next like week and a half. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You, get, you, you feel like there's this pressure, right? right? Well, when there's pressure, that brain goes into what's called high beta. Mm -hmm. It's a high beta wave. And when you're in high beta, just like when somebody else fire in the house, you're not thinking, you're just getting the heck out of there, right? So when you're in high beta, you don't have time to learn and you don't have time to teach. You just wish everybody would just be better, right? Mm, Make my life easy. Great. I just want you, I just wish you were better. You want, now you're in like your coach mode, right? So now you've got to start coming together wow. and realize that your technical ability is lacking in this area. And it's going to take you some time to up level, right? So that you can now bring that team along. And that's where any sorts of resources you can get your hands on to help make that easy is worth going after. Sure. Right. And you also got to identify as a little bit of a different person. Yeah. Right. You're not uh, like in marketing, there's always that term of, you know, you're not uh, like you're not, you are, uh, you are someone who's selling, like marketing the carpenting service. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, that's, there's a little bit of a mindset shift there. So, but, so that's tech, there's technical ability there. Then the third circle, and you kind of put them all together and they overlap in the middle. That one is tactical ability. They like for whether people are in a corporate structure or they're entrepreneurs or whatever, the tactical ability is when you do what you do. Hmm. Right. So the physical ability is your ability to do the thing. Right. Your technical, like, you know, the doing of the thing. Right. And the tactical ability is like when and how you do the thing. Okay. And so tactically, you know, you, you have to navigate bosses and, and competition and economy. Well, okay. That's, if you don't have that tactical ability, you're going to go out of business. Sure. Right? You can be the mo most physically capable, the most technically capable, but if you can't apply it at the right time and the right people, yeah, it's not going to work. Yeah, sure. Right? So that's where, when you understand how those abilities intertwine, well, you can have all the courage in the world, mm. but if you're not technically able, right. you're not physically able, you're not tactically able, it's like you yeah. can jump out of the plane with that parachute and go, wee. Yeah, and it's yeah, it's just a faster ride to the bottom, you know. So uh, yeah, exactly. I like that. Well, I think too, I love how you put that though. Your brain goes into a high beta mode, and yes. and it's operating in that mode when it's under stress. And I think people don't realize, you know, 
you tend to be singular focused and your perspective really narrows in that environment. So like you said, when someone yells, comes into your house and yells fire, the understanding of the surroundings and what's going on around you, it just kind of dissipates and you're singular focused on getting out the door. Let's go. You know, I think that when you're operating in that mode in a work environment or in a home environment, any kind of high stress environment, it's important to realize that you may be more apt to miss things around you and more apt to miss things in your surroundings because you're so singular focused on, I've got to build these skills or I've got to get these results or I've got to do these things. And that I think is a detriment to, there's, that's when you see things going. You know, we talked about burnout earlier. You know, you may not get the sleep that you need. You may be missing out on some relationships or you may just miss some things you know, in, in other areas of your life or work and put in some poor routines because you're so singular focused on this either result or something. So I think that's so true that people have to realize, like, if you're going into a job transition or if you're going into a stressful situation or if you're trying to achieve something and it's just a deadline, your focus, you go into that high beta mode and your brain tends to focus and you got to be careful. You got to be careful. First, you have to identify that you're there and the people around you need to understand the workload and the pressure. And now with athletes, I've always used the term because in, in sports, especially youth sports, there's all this talk about like, oh, you know, I don't want my kid to get burned out. Right. Well, none of us want to get burned out. Like, to be honest, it's not just your kid. It's like, you know, whatever. Yeah. So I don't always use the word burnout. Mm -hmm. I use the term under recovered. I love right. that. <laughs> I love that. I love that. <laughs> what recovery, like for an athlete, the cycle for an athlete is you train, you do your practice, right? And then your practice is to build your, your three key abilities, physical, technical, tactical, right? So you train and then you recover and then you compete at some point and then you recover and then you repeat the whole cycle. Yeah. So train, recover, compete, recover, repeat. And that's where like performance enhancing drugs comes in in sports. Because why? Well, it allows Fast you recover. to train more often so that you can acquire more skills so that you can compete at a higher level. And then you can recover from the, comp the competition and then you do it all over again. Mm -hmm. So, so, you know, Kobe Bryant, there's a, a, a very famous quote that he said was like, he used to train like four times a day. You know, he'd train at 4.30 before the 6 o'clock practice, and then he'd train at, like, I don't know, 7 before the noon practice. And, like, you know, there's, whatever, four times a day he would train. And he realized that at the end of a week, at the end of a month, the end of a year, he would have so many more touches, you know, to get better that he could compete at the highest level. And he, so, so when someone talks about burnout, it's this idea that they are, under recovered so good and so people think first they're like okay what's the simplest way to get more recovery well okay you gotta sleep you gotta sleep better. sure but then somebody goes like well i can't sleep because i'm always thinking about work right well, okay let's figure that out yeah right so first if you realize that okay you are now legit like this is where in today's you know, millennials and Gen Z's, they're like, everybody wants to quiet quit and just work 40 hours and all this. I get, I get it. But the thing is, within those 40 hours, we want to maximize your output. 100%. Because I don't care if you're selling a widget or you're making a widget or you're pushing paper about the widget. 
there's something that you do on a daily basis that if you can do it more efficiently, we're all going to get better. Absolutely. Absolutely. We're all going to get better. Now, the thing that we all want to be rewarded. So if you do more, get rewarded. I'm, I'm all for that. Absolutely. But, but the thing that if we just bog the system down, then, and the widgets don't get made and they don't get sold and the paperwork about the widgets don't get processed, then we're going to be out of business. Sure. Right. So sleep is usually the first thing people look at. Yep. But then if there's a lot of people that have trained themselves to believe and continue the cycle that they don't have, they don't sleep well. Right. Right. Going back to like that, hey, how do you view it? Do you talk about being anxious or you talk about being excited? Yeah. Do you just say every day that you're not a good sleeper? Right. You're just, you're actually, you know, creating your own problem. You know, that's, right. uh, I think it's interesting uh, to your point, you know, in our talk, we talk about one of the myths of burnout and one of the myths of burnout, which is why I love that you use the term under recovered. That's so cool because we talk about one of the myths of burnout being that stress is what causes burnout. And that's a myth because it's not necessarily stress that causes burnout. It's stress without recovery that causes burnout. And Basically. so and it's like, you know, when I go, it's like you said in the example, if I'm going to work out, I go and work out in the gym, I'm pumping my, you know, pumping, you know, repping out on a bench press or whatever it is. And then I rack it up and then I stop and I take the next day to recover. And then I go back, work out again. And I can stress my body because stress creates that enhances my performance, kind of gives me a little edge. It pushes me, makes me feel uncomfortable. You know, it gets me growing. I grow into that stress. But if I just, if I'm always under that stress, then I'm under recovered and that's when I burn out. So I love that example. I appreciate it. The thing too is that the t from the top down, I believe that pretty much everybody suffers from what I call lifestyle. Explain uh, that. Talk, talk about that concept. Well, life, you, I mean, you, you don't have to look too far to hear the statistics that, you know, certain population percentage of the population is living paycheck to paycheck, right? Everybody's maxed out. They make a little bit more money and then their lifestyle just maxes out, right? It's just, um, I just read the book or listened to the audiobook, The Billion Dollar Whale, which is read. Really? We'll get into it, but it's just even at the high of like any sort of corrupt story you've ever heard, that is also a form of lifestyle creep. Just people want it bigger, better, whatever. Okay. So what happens is what is that when the boss He's got lifestyle creep and wants to make more money. Then the person below them needs to money and do, do more work. And then the person below them feels the pressure and then so sure. on and so on and all the way down. So everybody's like, yes, you know, it's very rare. You run into somebody at work and they're like, Hey, Janice, <laughs> like legit, not the fake smile, but they're like, my debts are paid. My kids are happy. My husband's fantastic. The dog's sure. fed, right? The car runs great. Like it's, and my coffee is fantastic. <laughs> Who does that? Yeah. Right. So, so first there has to be a release of pressure. Like I just, I do believe that hundred percent, but to that point, here's something that you and I do every day, Dallas. I, I'm going to, I'm going to blow your mind here. All right. I'm ready. You type much. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Type, like, yeah. Keep, you know. yeah. Do you know that the, do you know why the letters are in the order they are on our keyboards? I've only heard one story. 
And that would be that that when they first invented, and I could be wrong, but first invented typewriters that people typed too fast. Is that correct? They had That's, to mix them go. up a little bit. Keep going. And, Tell the story. So they, they, I don't know much more than that. They just had to, they, I believe they rearranged the keys just to slow them down a little slow bit. To keep us up down. With the, slow us down. Yeah. To slow down. Now, there's probably, even on that keyboard, you, probably, you, you ever notice that there's a couple key combinations where you always mess it up? Yes. Like it, there's always one, you know, for oh, me, yeah. there's a couple, but here's the deal. You're exactly right. The QWERTY keyboard that we all use was designed to slow down those little arms whacking up at the paper. Right? Yes. On those old school typewriters. You know, typewriters. So, so here's something we do every day, thousands of times a day, millions of times a year is we are typing on an inefficient tool. So the question then is like, why on your key, on your computer, on everybody's computer, there's a setting that gives us other keyboard configuration options, where if you learned to type in those configurations, you would be more efficient. You would be faster. Right. But mm. nobody does that. Okay. <laughs> the reason I would bring up that story is because listen. If you're stressed out at work and all you've done is just showed up at work the same every day, you haven't improved yourself physically. You haven't improved yourself technically. Now keyboard typing would be a technical ability, right? Or you haven't, you know, gone and talked to Janice about how we can get more paper in the Xerox machine efficiently, like whatever. But if you're just coming the same you every day we can't throw more at you and expect you to be better, but hmm. we need in a competitive environment, which we are all in, I always say this to my athletes, like there's either, you're either moving ahead or you're moving backwards. There's no neutral. There's no neutral. Why? Because there's somebody else improving. Right. Yeah. Right. So, so we need just to be a little bit better and we should. Mm -hmm. Right? Like that's just part of evolution. Part of growth. Yeah. It's part now, of growth. I think that speaks to the power of inertia. I mean, it's the, it's just, there's this force that is actively pushing, it feels like against people to, to want to change, whether that's fear of change or whether that's just complacency or, you know, cause I've never really thought about that. I mean, until you brought that story up about the keyboard and I just totally, I love that. That's so good because here we have an invention that in its day was necessary because people could type faster than the machine could keep up. Obviously, we cannot outspeed our new, you know, computers. We could actually type even faster. And yet we choose not to because we've always done it that way. And it's just well, to people's defense, they might not know, mm. right? There's a that there's an option. Yeah. And not even know the path. Yeah, not even know that there's opportunity. Yeah. Okay, so now I've got to I've got to jump off. To, there's just this is just too good because, you know, Think Move Thrive, in the last ten percent we have this is our flagship podcast, but we developed a product called One on One Coaching System, the One on Ones Coaching System, and it's exactly the reason and the reason we developed it is exactly because of that is because people eat, need to either see something and be nudged towards growth on a regular basis, not just once a year in a performance review. And they also need to know what's possible and they need to be able to address in some kind of an open communication environment, 
what's important to them, what's working, what's not working, fears, maybe their anxiety, you know, maybe their dreams or goals or ambitions and what that is and kind of work that plan out. If you're leading a team or if you are working with people and you want to develop them, but maybe you just don't have the framework, you know, in the systems that Mm -hmm. we've talked about operating. That's one of the reasons that we developed the apps. You can download the app and it is that framework and system. So I I just couldn't help but just say that because like this is totally, your keyboard story is just fantastic. I love that. I want to talk a little bit more about your experience in coming off the Olympics and you had mentioned, like, I just didn't, you kind of, that's where we kind of left at the beginning of this conversation. You kind of talked about that and saying, I, you know, I just didn't know what I was doing. I didn't have a mentor telling me, you know, what I was doing, where I was going. Talk about that and like kind of that progress for you moving forward and that journey for you. So not to go back too far, but when I started pursuing Olympic sport in high school, the school that I was at was not really excited about me doing they weren't very amenable to any anybody who was doing something outside of school Mm. they were cool with stuff inside i remember there's a girl who was like a swimmer she would uh you know school had a rule like every semester you had to do your sport you had to do a sport but she was also getting up at like four o'clock in the morning to um get up at uh, like 4 30 in the morning to train for two hours in the pool Mm. but i got interested i transferred rules and i got interested in athletic training and physical therapy Huh. And so the school I was at gave me an opportunity to like pursue that path and then while I was training. So it wow. was kind of part of my high school experience. Wow. That's amazing. I, yeah. It was really cool. Lawrence Academy in Groton, Massachusetts, fantastic program. And plus I wanted to play lacrosse and I wanted to be an American. So they, they, were, they facilitated that. So I just looked for situations and people um, kind of allow me to pursue things I was interested in. Sure. Now, when the Olympics were over and I didn't go back to Notre Dame. I didn't go to the school to play lacrosse. And I wasn't sure if I wanted to do a physical therapy degree or any of that sort of thing. And then I, I had a, a teammate who was a pilot for United Airlines. Like just all these things were kind of possible. I went to Stanford University and I met all these kids who were like, you know, mom was a doctor, dad's a doctor. So I'm going to summer school when I'm 16, just because I'll be a doctor too. And I was wow. Like, oh, wait a second. And then I met some entrepreneurial folks who never went to college. So it's like, you can imagine I had all these inputs that were confusing. Sure. Yeah. No, there wasn't like, a, I didn't have a mentor to say, focus, do this. Sure. I'm a big believer though. Now Dallas, that everything in life happens for a reason, but you don't know what the heck that reason is at the time. <laughs> like no clue. Sure. Right. And when you don't have a focus and a goal, then you didn't fall back to what's comfortable. Sure. So I kept falling back into sport and coaching and things like that. And, but I realized like I, and I still to this day feel like more potential in me. Hmm. So even though at the, when I look back on that time in my life, I'm frustrated that I didn't necessarily have a mentor to say this, because now at this point in my life, I have, uh, there's people that I know that they've been in a career for like 25, 30 years and they're crushing it. Like life's good, money's good, kids are in private school, like the whole, you know, it's just like, you can't judge a book by its cover, but sure, man, when you have that level of experience, that, that level of like kind of cumulative knowledge, it would make life a hell of a lot easier. And there's days when I wish life was easier. Sure. But what I'm trying to get used to is even today, getting 
comfortable with being uncomfortable. Hmm. That's hard. That's easy to say, but it's hard to do. Sure. Because it's tiring. Yeah. Yeah. And it's stressful and it needs to be recovered from. Yes. You know, so, so I wrote a book, I've got a coaching program. I started the athlete operating system. So the athleteos.com. That was my way to give back the world of athletes and parents. I coach lacrosse kids still. And then I started challenge master seminars. I kept realizing this idea of this athletic framework is really what, if everybody understood it, that, Hey, that next thing that they got to come on, like, like, let's say they get promoted, they're a manager. Now they got a team to deal with. Sure. And they've never dealt with people before like that. Oh, they need huge tools. Yes. They need tools like that. Like the, the tools that you have to be able yeah. to, to figure it out, figure it out. That's right. You know, just figure it out. Like you, you're totally capable. I would mm-hmm. say like the, the, the hardest thing we've ever had to learn in our life was tying our shoelaces. <laughs> yeah. But, but the thing that I truly believe is that if we're not where we want to be, is that it's just, we just lack inputs. Mm, right. Sure. But what we understand is that there's a lot, there was millions of inputs that never landed. Mm. The reason why they don't land is that we are goal seeking individuals. It's all good. But, and our brain is wired in a way that when we have some sort of focus on a goal, and I don't even like these word goals, but the idea is we just have some sort of focus, then our brain takes what is useful and discards the rest. Right. Right. Okay. So when someone comes to your house, yells fire, your brain is like, how do I get out of here? Sure. Right. It's visualizing outside, no smoke, blue skies. Right. So it's where I struggled after the Olympics was I didn't have a focus. I have a lot of interests. I have a lot of yeah. things I want to do in my life. Sure. I'm, I'm multi-passionate, I guess, is a way to describe it. <laughs> That's good. And as much as I'm, I am that, some days I wish that, you know, maybe I started a career in finance right out of high school. <laughs> no, I think that's, I think that's, I think that's natural though. I think that obviously you've gotten a wealth of information. You're consuming a tremendous amount of, of information in the books and the different things you read and listen to. And I think that's the, I think you're, a tr- if you've ever read the book range, that's a, that you're, a tr- you're definitely a true general, a generalist. And Epstein, um, right? yeah, yeah, uh, that's right. Yeah. You got it. So but I think that's the sign. The other thing, I think it takes being good at many things to be good at that one thing underneath that, right? You know, in terms of you got to have this discipline layered. You got to be, you know, be able to take coaching and assimilate a lot of information and data to help you get improved. And then you've got to be good physically. And it's all like those, the uh, three key abilities that, that you were, abilities that you were talking about earlier, you kind of have to put those in, but there's a lot of other inputs. So I think that would make sense why that after that experience, you're going all over the globe and you're meeting people everywhere, all these different experiences and cultures in this kind of this experience that just culminates in the Olympics. I could totally see why sitting behind a desk in finance would not be what you would end up landing the plane on two wheels into. You know what I mean? <laughs> you've got a little, you got too much adventure for that. So I would love to ask, you've done a lot of coaching in, in the athletic realm and businesses as well. What is one thing that you feel like when, and this could be for parents, you know, for business leaders, for parents of athletes, for athletes themselves, what's one thing that you felt like and seen maybe a mistake 
that you've either see people make with their kids or coaches make when they're coaching an athlete or, or either an, a mindset of an athlete? What's something that you typically see and you're like, ooh, that is, that's not good? So feeling like they have to be apologetic for what they're going after. Ah, all right. Let's talk about that for a second. So, uh, so in the world of youth sports, right, there's the, since 2000, youth sports has blown up in North America. That's fine. I get it. But there's this term in youth sports about like when it all costs, there's travel teams and there's, you know, there's things in and, and there's things like, so years ago, for those of you that are kind of in my age demographic, you'll remember like when we were in high school, if you played any sort of sports, like the varsity got the good jersey yeah. and the JV, the JV the jersey was like sandpaper, right? <laughs> but I remember Viv, and this was like in the early 2000s when it really struck me, I saw a little kid with an Adidas jersey, a soccer jersey, just like the pros wore. Oh, wow. I think to what you're saying too, is you said the level of awareness. If you want to be the number one salesman, you're saying, don't be apologetic to go after it, go after it. But I think that level of awareness that you're talking about is just because, you know, there's several things. Don't be, you don't have to be like everybody else. You don't have to be apologetic for you wanting it. You're you go get it. But I think also having that awareness is I, you don't have to be like other people lean on your strengths. And some people may get that number one salesman because they are more ambitious with the number of calls that they make. And they just make so many more calls than everybody else. They call 20% more calls than anybody. And they get it because they did that. And other people say, I'm, I can't do that. You know? Okay. Well, how are you going to do it? Well, I'm better one-on-one. -on -one, so I'm going to have less calls, but I'm going to convert the, a greater percentage of the calls. And that's how I'm going to get it. And so figure it out. And that's what I think we were saying earlier is you want to figure it out. Don't be apologetic. Be aware of your unique gifts and the way you're created and how you move through this planet and what you bring to the equation. But if that's the case and you have a desire, go after it. And I think that's, I think that's good. That's good. So and I just it, think I feel so strongly about that. Who knows what's going to happen just by, yeah. just by pushing in a little bit. Yeah. For yeah. Sure. Let's see what, I mean, you could end up in the Olympics or something crazy like that. Hey, I'll, <laughs> I'll share with you this story, man. Like, like I'm at a summer camp in upstate New York and there's two counselors there who, when they were young, they were like, before we got to get a life, like what, we should do something fun. What's it going to be? And they were like, let's go to the Olympics. And they got a list of all the summer Olympic sports and all the winter Olympic sports. And they picked ones that they thought they might have a chance at. And Lake Placid, New York was like an hour there. And so they went and they were alternates. And then they got into coaching and it just happened to be, I was at a camp. They had a wheeled sled, a couple of, it was like a weakling we got to try. And then from that, I was like, Hey. Do you want, you know, come try it on Lake Placid on ice? Who knows? You know, you just never know. When you lean into that oh like gosh. uncomfortable feeling, then worlds open up to you. Yeah. So and those two, so that was, were they instrumental in getting you into the sport? Yeah, totally. So I was at this, I was at the, my, my father was the music director at mm -hmm. this summer camp in upstate New York. And wow. I used to go as like in the summers when I, but then when sure. I was, when I was 10 and a half, I got to go as a camper. And huh. so I went for like five, I, so I tried it once when I was 10 and a half and they had these wheeled sleds, went down this little road and stopped in like some pine straw at the bottom. And, but then four years later, I tried it again. But at that point it was part of like a national, like recruiting thing. Ah, and they had different lights over the summer in different parts of the country, recruiting kids.
And yeah, I was, I, I got a phone call from Dimitri Feld. who's like this Russian coach who's in the, been in the United States forever. And he's like, Hey, Johnny, you want to come try luge? Well, began, right? You know, so yeah, the, those stories are abound. Like, I think everybody has stories like that in some way. Yeah. Uh, well, but, thank uh, you. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And thank you for sharing just kind of your, your story. You've had, you know, had a, an amazing career, went to the, was in the Olympics and then have written a book. You're coaching athletes now. You're a business owner now. We didn't get into all that. Yeah. But if, you know, tell people how they, you talked about the website, the athlete, OS.com and the Challenge Master Seminar. Tell us how people can get a hold of you if they want to get in touch with you and uh, buy your book. We'll put the show link, we'll put the notes yeah. uh, in the links in the show notes. So. so, if you've got an athlete in your life, The Athlete's Guide to Winning in Sports and Life is a book. It's on Amazon. Okay. We hit number two in sports psychology when we launched. Even if you're not an athlete, this book is super. And um, I actually wrote it and we copied a format from Brian Tracy. And so written in a way where you can really kind of pick it up and read a couple pages and be like, okay, I want to try that today. That's great. Um, and then hello. So the best way to kind of reach out to me is hello at theathleteos.com. And best place to reach me now. It's an email that kind of gets, that I trust. I got so many well, emails go. going on in my life. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, and I and coach athlete, I coach and coaches who support them. But also from my business background, like I was in retail for 10 years, I've been in sales, just got to, you know, I take approach with people who are just going for it and whatever. The framework is the same. Yes. The framework is the same. And yeah. just like what you do, you know, the idea is like we're giving people the tools. One-on-one, -on -one, you're living it. That's awesome. And yeah. Ruben speaks very highly of you. He said that you did a great job with him and helped him stay motivated and focused and uh, he just really respects your coaching. So I appreciate you. And I appreciate you giving back to other people. Cause that's, you know, like he said, the gold medal is not, the gold medal is not winning. The gold medal is significance and, and giving back to people. So, I mean, that's, and that's what you're doing. So I appreciate your heart for athletes and heart for coaching and everything like that. So that's good. Thanks for having me, right. Dallas. This was great. Yeah. So I want to ask you, do you have anyone that comes to mind that you would like to hear Always. On the last ten percent, it might be somebody that it might be just somebody that you would like to hear that you don't know. I um, no, he. Okay, I was going to tell you. Give me, give me. I just read a great book. You know who would be great is who Ben Mesrick. Oh, okay. Ben Mesrick is a writer, and he's written a bunch of books that are all based on true stories. He's in Boston. He went to Harvard, and he's written books like you ever saw the movie Twenty One. Mm -hmm. which is about mm -hmm. these MIT kids that went to Vegas and counted cards. and Yes, I did. Uh, I have seen that. It's an yeah, amazing, so he, that's an amazing he, story. He wrote that book. He wrote a book about Facebook with Mark Zuckerberg and the two Winklevoss twins, which were U.S. Olympians, by the way. Okay. Um, but he's a guy that if I could interview him, I would because he's just fantastic. Also, Michael Lewis wrote uh, Moneyball. He wrote Liar's Poker. Oh, he That's wrote like one of my favorite movies. I just, oh my gosh. Yeah. Money. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. love that. I think Ben Mesrick or Michael Lewis, those would be good guys to, to All right. To. We're going we're gonna to try to get a hold of, of Ben or Michael. We'll see, how, we'll see how successful we are at that. But we'll, hey, we'll just tell them, Jonathan, That's... you guys got to be on the show. <laughs> I so appreciate, so appreciate your time today. And, and and appreciate the conversation and just all the value that you shared with us and and yeah we'll be we'll, please go and check out the athlete's guide 
and we'll put the link in the show notes and connect with him on at hello at the athleteos.com. Check it out and support Mr. Jonathan Edwards. And we hope to have you back soon on the last 10%. You bet. Cheers, Dallas. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today on the last 10%. We hope you found today's content engaging and encouraging. Remember to subscribe to the podcast to hear the latest episodes and help us out by rating and reviewing us so others will join our community. We release new episodes every other Tuesday. This podcast can be found globally in any podcasting app, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Amazon. Subscribe today. Plus, visit our website, join our email list, and discover resources and info for your business and team at thinkmovethrive.com. Thanks again for listening to The Last 10%.